Georgia Governor Brian Kemp is the new Stacey Abrams. And the people who interfered in the last election just did a tabletop the vote exercise to see what they can do during the next one. This is the Propaganda Report's Drive Time News Blast. I am Brad Binkley. Top story, Brian Kemp is in fact the new Stacey Abrams. He solidified himself yesterday when during a press conference that was supposed to be about the response to the hurricane. That's what the press conference where he said all these things was supposed to be for. But Kemp decided instead to use that platform while he had some people's attention to let everyone know that as long as he's governor, he's going to be protecting Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis from any scrutiny. Nobody is going to be looking at that Fannie on his watch except for him. And this delighted CNN's Caitlin Collins and Maggie Haberman was on with her as well. Here's what they had to say about Brian Kemp protecting the woman going after Trump. Look at that mouth on Caitlin Collins. I don't know. I don't know if that's plastic surgery or what that is, but here she is. Maggie, I mean, we have been talking about what Kemp said today, basically resisting efforts by Trump and his allies to to have a special session to investigate Bonnie Willis. But there was another thing he said about Trump and the way he's running his campaign without mentioning Trump by name that was really notable. I could tell you that as long as I'm governor, we are going to stay focused on the issues that help all Georgians. That is the way you win races. That is the way you move forward. Things like cutting taxes, doing $2 billion tax rebates, suspending the gas tax that saves our families and our businesses $1.7 billion, teacher pay raises, law enforcement pay raises, going after street gangs, not focusing on the past or some grifter scam that somebody's doing to help them raise a few dollars into their campaign account. That's during the hurricane response press conference. He's talking about all of this. They they don't mention that during any of the coverage of this. Grifters, scam, I mean... It's subtle, but if you listen closely, (laughs) you can figure out what he's talking about. Uh, That is... uh, So I actually hadn't heard that clip until you just played it. Uh, It's really, really striking, and it's striking on a couple of fronts. Kemp is someone, as you know who not only resisted Donald Trump's efforts to subvert the election results in 2020, he is somebody who has repeatedly pushed back on this over the last two years. And he is someone who defeated a Trump attempt to try to take him down in a primary. And so it is meaningful coming from him because he is a Republican who donors are focused on, who some Republican voters are focused on as a future face of the party. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of buildup there about what Republicans wish they were talking about. But then he calls it, I mean, grifter scamming. Uh, it made me remember just a few weeks ago, he met with Governor DeSantis. He met with former Vice President Pence. I mean, he's been talking to these 2024 hopefuls quietly, but they've been talking. Yeah. he Is Caitlin Collins animatronic? She doesn't even look like a real person. I'm not saying she's not pretty. She just looks like a porcelain doll or something. Yeah, he he is looking at an alternative to Donald Trump. Whether he is going to actually do something more, I think, remains to be seen. Again, there's two names that keep coming up among donors. And and donors are not great uh, predictors, right, of where Republican primary politics are going, as we have seen at least over the last two cycles, 2012 a little bit more so. Uh, But you hear Brian Kemp and you hear Glenn Youngkin. And so I, I think that Brian Kemp has been pretty careful about how he is 
projecting himself and casting himself, but I do think he wants to be part of a broader conversation about the future of the party. And you see that, as you said, in what he's what he's saying Republicans should be discussing. There they are, smitten over Brian Kemp. And this has been going on for a while. CNN has been reshaping his image for their audience for months now. I said probably three months ago that Kemp was going to run, probably longer than that, actually, after he did this interview with Caitlin Collins where she asked him the question if he was going to put his name in the hat. He didn't say no, even though they reported it as him saying no. He didn't actually say no. He said he was going to, I'm going to cast to see what happens, is what he said. And I have a feeling that he's going to be jumping in sometime soon. He Remember when they gave all the credit to Stacey Abrams for getting Biden nominated? Now they're trying to position Kemp either in that same position, as he's going to get credit for being a, a kingmaker, so to speak, or he's going to run. It's going to be one of the two. And he's better for the establishment than Stacey Abrams ever was because he is a a guy who sounds like a dumb redneck who wears the label of a Republican, who even Democrats in a bunch of Reddit forums I was reading last night have just fallen in love with simply because he opposes Trump. That's all you have to do. People don't realize how easily manipulatable that makes them when all someone has to do is say, I hate Trump, and they'll go, yeah, we go along with whatever you say. If, it, if the guys put on like a network like CNN or MSNBC, it's, it's kind of crazy because they used to hate him back when they were pumping up Stacey Abrams. So he is a better person to push their agenda forward because he is that wolf in sheep's clothing, which Stacey Abrams could never fit into. And he's also clearly compromised. Is there a more compromised person in America than Brian Kemp? Some of you know a little bit about the background. I'm not going to get into that today, but the guy is obviously compromised and I think probably has a drinking problem as well. But that's just me speculating. Okay, so speaking of Caitlin Collins, do you know where she worked before she was hired by CNN? She was hired by them in 2017. She worked for Tucker Carlson at the Daily Caller, which she would now have to call a fringe right-wing website, but Tucker Carlson owned the Daily Caller at the time. I think he sold his rights to it in 2020. But while she was working there from 2014 to 2017, where she was a White House correspondent for the Daily Caller, Tucker Carlson was officially her boss. And Maggie Haberman, she was on CNN like all night last week during Trump's uh, arrest. They had this coverage where all hands on deck and she was there. And I saw this live. I saw her and Jake Tapper talking about trying to explain to their audience what Trump did, the crime that he was being charged with doing in Fannie Willis's indictment, which it's pretty revealing the way that they talk about it. But that conversation is not included in any of the clips that CNN cut from that full day's coverage. They don't put all of their cut their uh, their stuff on YouTube anymore, I guess because they want people to watch it live or subscribe to one of their uh, online things, which they're teaming up with Max now, with formerly HBO Max, to do more streaming stuff again after CNN Plus failed. But that conversation is nowhere to be found on the internet. It was, because I did find it on this random YouTube page of someone who streamed like all six hours of their coverage, and I didn't clip it right away. I should have, because when I went back to it to play it for the show, the video was gone. I did find the transcript, however, on CNN's website, this is, is transcripts.com slash CNN shows. And I'm going to read you part of the exchange between 
Jake Tapper and Maggie Haberman of them talking about the crime that Trump committed, according to Fannie Willis. Tapper starts off by talking about how it's not illegal to lie to the press or to the public. That's not a crime, but lying to officials in an official capacity, according to Fannie Willis's legal theory, that that's a crime right there. I mean, they can't even explain the legal theory very well because they're kind of going around in circles trying to not say that it's a crime to lie, but also say that it is a crime to lie. But then it's a crime to lie to to government officials, which is exactly what I was saying the other day. That's what they want to criminalize is lying or, or not believing and expressing your disbelief to government, not, not lying. They call it lying for you to express disbelief in something the government says. That's basically what's going on with these indictments. Then in response to that, Haberman, obviously agreeing with Tapper, she says that Trump was indicted for what he lied for and how he used those lies. And then she says this. She says, we talk a lot, Jake, about how crucial, and I was having this conversation with someone else this week. We talk a lot about how crucial that Oval Office meeting on December 18th, 2020, that I wrote about it and my new colleague, Jonathan Swarm, wrote about after it had taken place. And it was crucial. And that's where he was being urged to consider using the apparatus of government to seize voting machines and rerun the election. But a really crucial moment came in mid-November when his then lawyer at the time, one of his top campaign aides, Justin Clark, was arguing with Rudy Giuliani and Trump basically sided with Rudy Giuliani. And that was the moment that set everything that happened in motion. There you have it. Trump's crime was siding with Rudy Giuliani instead of his campaign lawyer who was taking the position of the intel communities who all they ever do is lie. That is the basis of the entire crime is he chose to side with the people who disagreed with the government. Staying with the election for a moment, Chris Christie, America's most unlikable man, had a revealing moment during the GOP debate the other day, which I haven't heard anyone talking about or playing. In a brief exchange with Vivek, he reveals whose interest he actually serves, as well as many of those other clowns on the stage as well. Here's what he said. By the behavior, way, Chris, and you as a prosecutor way, should know yeah, better. Yeah, I, you know what? I know a lot There's better. There's a difference between I bad know, behavior. And I know a lot better than you do. You've never done it like you've never done anything to try to advance the interests of this government except to put yourself forward as a candidate tonight. He's never done anything to advance the interest of this government. That's how Chris Christie measures whether or not somebody is a good candidate for president. If they've served the interest of this, the politicians are supposed to serve the interest of the people, not the interest of the government. Not, not that anybody didn't know where Chris Christie's head is, but that is a revealing moment to me. And that's what a lot of these people are there for, is to serve the interest of this government, to grow it, to give it more power, not the interest of the people that they placate and pretend to be representing. Christie also had the dumbest line of the night when, in response to Vivek saying that the climate agenda is a hoax, he said this. Uh, wait, hold no. on, hold I've on. I've had enough. I've had enough already tonight of a guy who sounds like ChatGPT standing up here. <laughs> oh, man. And... Okay, that old man who thought that was a great insult, that was not me. That was the person who streamed this whole thing. That it was not a good insult, actually. It was a stupid one. If you're going to use a 
free written insult, please use it at the right time, at least. Can, can, can we do that at the very minimum, Chris Christie? Because ChatGTP would blow its brains out, its artificially intelligent brains, before it ever called the climate agenda a hoax. I tried for like 30 minutes to get it to say one disparaging thing about the climate agenda. And it doesn't do it. It tells me that I'm wrong or stops talking to me. And everything that Vivek said, whether or not you like him or not, or you believe he's genuine, is the opposite of what Chad GTP would ever say. That's the, the worst time to use such a stupid pre-written insult. And everybody in that, oh, it's just so dumb. Not to mention that there was a study done recently. I believe it was by a research university in the UK that found that chat GTP leans left. No shit. Wow. How do you get that gig? How do you get the job of researching answers to questions that everyone already knows the answer to? That's a good gig right there. I mean, this was a funded study. I tried to find out how much. I couldn't find out exactly how much it was, but they got some money pumped in to answer the question, is water wet? Yes, it's wet. Finally, on the election, and I don't have much information about this because there's no video, there's no documents or transcripts. I don't think they want to see it. Only pictures and brief summaries, but I think it is worth knowing that on August 17th, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, the one that officially declared, officially declared the 2020 election the most secure in American history, the dumbest statement, the, the least provable declaration of all time. That, that's the, the thing, what I just said is more provable than what they claimed about the 2020 election. That agency held a tabletop the vote 2023, an election security exercise in preparation for the 2024 election. I will go through very quickly the announcement, the press release. Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alexandro Mayorkas, who I believe must be four foot seven, because all of the pictures that I saw of him, it's like he comes up to people's hip. And these are short women that he's standing around. You can't even see the guy. He spoke. He was like the main speaker. And it says, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency hosted the nation's largest annual election security exercise this week in close coordination with the National Association of Secretaries of State and the National Association of State Elections Directors. So they did these all over the country. Uh, there was a main one they did in Arlington, up there near the CIA, and I believe voting districts, people who run the votes in various states, also participated because I found this same press release published in a bunch of different states, just kind of specified towards them. And none of them give any details. The exercise took place over three days and included a range of hypothetical scenarios affecting election operations. The annual exercise gives participants the opportunity to share practices in cyber and physical incident planning. I thought there was no problem with the machines or the people hacking into them. That's strange. The annual exercise gives participants the opportunity to share practices around cyber and physical incident planning, preparedness, identification, response, and recovery. In a joint statement following the exercise by Director Jen Easterly and like six other people, I wouldn't, did they all really contribute to the statement? There's like nine people here making this joint statement. That's a lot of people to get to agree on exactly how something should be said. Anyway, their joint statement, these nine people, is... The federal government and election officials remain unified in ensuring the security and resilience of our nation's democratic processes. 
especially as we look towards the 2023 and 2024 elections. Today's threat environment is increasingly dynamic and complex, and we continue working closely together. This includes the sharing of information and intelligence through multiple channels, promoting rigorous safeguarding of equipment and systems, ongoing assessments to identify risk and voter abilities, and participating in exercises like tabletop the vote. I wonder what that information sharing is like. Hey, we have some info for you. Trump supporters are domestic terrorists. That's probably, that's what I'm envisioning, the information sharing. is like, are they wearing a red hat? You need to take them out of there. Call the FBI. Elections are run by thousands of dedicated state and local election officials across the country. It is because of the incredible work of so many that the American people can have confidence in the security of our nation's elections. Can we? Can we really? In addition to CISA, federal participants that joined in the exercise included the U.S. Election Assistance Commission, the Department of Homeland Security, the Office of Intelligence and Analysis, the Department of Justice, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, the National Security Agency, U.S. Cyber Command, the National Guard Bureau, and the U.S. Postal Inspection Service, as well as state and local election officials who participated virtually. And then again, uh, Secretary Mayorkas and Jen Easterly provided remarks to the election participants. So all of the organizations that colluded together to interfere and most likely steal the previous election have gotten together to see what they can do next time. There's a reason the video's not out for what they were doing in this exercise. There is one for the last year's. I believe, Actually, I didn't even know if there's a video for last year's. There, there are a few documents for last year's. I guess they're keeping these things under wraps. That should make nobody feel confident in the next election. A- at all. I mean, zero confidence. They're, they're practicing stealing it again is what they're doing. The least trustworthy people in the nation. Maybe the world. So here's an interesting story that literally just changed its headline and updated right as I switched over to it. The story was originally, this is the Daily Beast headline, which before about five seconds ago was MAGA Network investigating whether hosts were duped by fake AI Trump. And one of the explanations that I thought might, it might actually be, because I didn't think they were duped at all. Uh, they, they were the ones that did the AI thing, which it, it's, I'll go into the story, but it was Trump. And that's what I thought. I thought that it was Trump. But originally, because of the way that Trump sounded during the interview, people thought it was AI. Even apparently the owner of this network, they were investigating if this was an AI Trump that had fooled these broadcasters. I'm going to play you this clip here of them talking to Trump to show you why people thought that. And then I'll tell you why I believe it sounds like it does, because this is going to be a common thing. We have a very special guest tonight. He is the 45th president of the United States and the man fighting to be its 47th president, former President Donald Trump. And he joins us right now by phone. Mr. President, great to have you on the show. Well, thank you, John. Great to be with you. It's great to be with you as well, sir. Uh, I want to talk about a story that uh, surfaced this morning on Just the News, something we've been working on for a while. In Michigan, uh, police records showing that police uncovered what they believe was a nationwide fraudulent ballot application operation run out of Michigan. Democrats in the state confirm that this is a true story. The police confirm it's a true story. The state police confirm it's a true story. And they said, hey, we sent it to the FBI. 
We've never heard back. We keep being here. There's nothing wrong with the 2020 election. New evidence again. Your reaction to that? Well, I hope they follow through. They'll be world heroes if they do. And they'll be literally the greatest of all patriots because it's a disgrace. What went on with that election is disgraceful. And anybody that talks about it, they like to indict them. And they like to do whatever they can. But I want to tell you, it's a disgrace. And I heard about it. Actually, I heard about it from reading your Just the News, which is true, which is, and when are you going to get a Pulitzer Prize? Because you were right about Russia and so many other things. But uh, I hope you follow the story up because uh, the, uh, the the FBI was like is like a dead box. You know what a dead box is? You throw yep. things in and everything dies. Yeah. Except when it has to do with conservatives, then it's not so dead. But uh, of it's, a, it's a big story. It's really the biggest story, John. There is no bigger story than that, in my opinion. If we don't have fair elections and if we don't have borders, I put them together, we don't have a country. And uh, I read that in about Michigan. So, John, you have to tell me, are people going to continue to follow up with this or is it going to die? It's a funny Let thing. Congress go and get it, but it's disgraceful. Yeah. It's a funny thing, sir. Just about 20 minutes ago, I filled out a bunch of Freedom of Information. Okay, so you can see why people thought that that was an AI Trump, which my, my, the first thing that I thought was Trump promotes his interviews. Is he promoting the interview? And I went to True Social, and at the time he was not promoting the interview, but apparently he must have started promoting the interview in the past few hours. And yeah, so it, it is uh, Trump. But what I think probably happened is it sounds to me like it was a pre-recorded interview that they ran through this Adobe software. It's Adobe Podcast software. If you go to like podcast.adobe or just type in Adobe Podcast, they have these new tools that they've been testing where you can put your file in and there's a lot of tools to do this, but this one does it better than all of them except when it doesn't. And you put your file in there and it removes the background sound it, it removes the clicks. It can make a clip that sounds really awful, has a lot of background noise, trucks driving by, plane noises. Make it sound like you're in a soundproof booth and you're doing NPR style. I use it sometimes, not all the time, because when it doesn't work right, and I don't know what the factors are, it makes you sound like a robot. It sounds exactly like, I mean, exactly like this. I think what it does is, I think it, over removes the background noise and it starts to remove elements of the voice and I don't know I don't know enough about how the thing works but I know if there's too much of a variance in like the background or the the levels that the person is talking at in an attempt to equalize to level those out and remove that background sound it takes too much out and it, it just it it sounds like that right there this was a pre-recorded interview I guarantee it they ran it through that software because they wanted to get some Trump was on a plane or, or something. And this is what it sounded like. And this is interesting to me because the fact that people didn't know if it was real or not shows that anybody can make it seem like they just interviewed Trump. What I thought before I saw this, the updated portion of the article, because I didn't see Trump advertising this interview everywhere, I thought that they had gone and found either one or multiple Trump interviews and cut audio, whatever they wanted to talk about, just find Trump saying what they want him to say, and then edited that together, and then ran it through that program, and then just put the interview on their live show. I thought that they had 
they had been the ones that faked Trump being there, but that it was actually Trump, which anybody could do. It is weird, though, that Adobe software, it's like, we'll remove the background noise and make you sound just like AI. Okay, before we get to the final story of the day, which is going to be about uh, a story that Dominique Wilkins, the former Atlanta Hawks player, tells about Michael Jordan's competitiveness that I think is a good way to think about the competitiveness in these people who want to dominate the world. And it's something I was talking about the other day. It's pretty interesting, and it's also a funny story that he tells. I want to tell you what we're going to talk about in the DMB XR, which uh, it's going to be a little bit R-rated today because I read some more of the Rudy Giuliani sexual harassment lawsuit transcripts, and he got honeypotted. He did not sexually harass or do anything to this woman. This woman set him up, but the alleged audio recordings that are transcribed for the, uh, the court documents, boy, are they hilarious and creepy as well. And, and I'm going to go through the rest of them because some of them just crack me up, although some of them are a little disturbing as well. Rudy Giuliani is exactly what you think Rudy Giuliani is. Let's just say that. If you want to get access to that subscriber-only portion of the show, go to patreon.com slash propaganda report and subscribe there today. That is how I support the show. It's how I support myself. Patreon.com slash propaganda report. All right. The other day I was talking about how these so-called elites of the world are uber competitive, like beyond what any normal human being is. And that their level of competitiveness, I think, shatters this illusion that they can just harmoniously cooperate and work together all the time because they're always wanting to beat each other. And their competitiveness will stand in the way of that. They're going to have a strong distrust of each other. Anybody that they don't dominate and command order to do what they want them to do, they're not going to trust them and they're going to have a knife in their hand ready to stab their back all the time. And so Michael Jordan is famously competitive. It just He would fight people in practice. There were stories like that. The guy was so competitive and he would bet on absolutely anything. I love Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan is my favorite basketball player. Dude was super competitive and it's what made him good. Now, I'm not saying that this competitiveness with these elites makes them good. I'm saying it makes them not as powerful as people presume that they are because they can't, they, they, they want to beat each other. They don't want to hold hands and step on everybody together. They want to step on each other also. So this competitiveness is also how they can be destroyed. Here is Jordan or Dominique telling a funny story that illustrates Michael Jordan's level of competitiveness. So we are in Chicago. Michael walks into our locker room, suit and tie. And I'm like, what this son of a gun coming to our locker room for? I'm thinking he's going to training room or something. Yeah, you don't go in the other team's locker room before the game to taunt them, unless you're Michael Jordan. And he walks by me. He walks by Kevin Willis. He gets to Randy with me, taps him on his leg. He said, lace him up. It's going to be a long night. And I'm shocked. You know, I didn't know what to say. So he's walking out. And like, yeah, I didn't know what to say. And I just yelled something. I said, well, you tell that somebody, Scotty Pippen, I'm going to kick his ass. You know, I didn't know what to say. You know, he had 60 that night. Jordan goes into the locker room, which you don't do, tells the other team that he's about to whip their ass, and then drops 60. And Dominique froze up and yells at Jordan that he's going to kick Scotty Pippen's ass, 
which is hilarious because Pippen always gets the blunt of it, which he did bring on himself when he started saying that Jordan wasn't so good. And everybody's like, okay, Scotty, yeah, Jordan was good. All right. Scotty always felt, uh, he seems to have felt he didn't get the credit he deserved. Uh, he was a good player. He was no Jordan. And uh, it was also recently reported to add insult to injury that Scotty Pippen's wife divorced him and is now dating, maybe even engaged, to Michael Jordan's son. Y- you can't make this stuff up. The Hawks actually won this game, apparently. I mean, the, the rivalry. I mean, because Jordan is obscenely competitive, right? Like, if, if, if he bets a janitor $5 on a dice game, he expects that $5 in the janitor. Or oh, he competes at everything. I don't care what it, what it is. Every, I mean, it could be on the golf course, uh, anywhere. You know, drinking a glass of water, it don't matter. Who could drink it the fastest? He, he's he's going to bet on it. That's the, He's so competitive that way. But that's what makes him so great because his willingness to not accept losing. And there's only few, very few in this in this game to ever to ever do that. You know, if you know, you gotta go back to a, a Bill Russell when you think about guys who are consistent like that, you know. Uh which a lot of times people don't mention how great a winner he was. And so but it comes from guys like that. You know, because Jordan often talked about along myself, we always talk about the guys before us, what we've learned from them. And He's one of those guys, him and Chamberlain. And, and you know, you talk about uh, Kareem and Oscar and all those guys we learn from. I mean, there's obviously a lot of mutual respect between you two, but did it ever kind of go over the top during a game when, you know, tempers started to get heated and everything else like that? Or was it always a level of respect? I mean, because, I mean, with Jordan, I mean, look, like he, he wants to win. If, if he has to throw that friendship out to win that game, he'll do it. Whereas it wasn't no friends on the floor. We competed. It wasn't about right. friends. We, we, yeah. we didn't look at each other as friends. This is what I'm talking about. Now, they're talking about basketball game where they're off the court. That it can be a different story. They can turn that off. And I agree. When you're playing basketball and you're trying to win, you're not friends with, with the other team. You're, that's your enemy during the game. You want to beat them. And apply this level of super competitiveness to the way that these global elites are always trying to strategize and, you know, like risk and figure out ways they can just give themselves more power, which they're never, they will never want to like willingly give up to somebody else. They're not friends with these people. They, they, they might have to work with them sometimes, or, but the, those relationships aren't always going to go so swimmingly. And I think we should recognize that they're human beings who can't defy human nature, especially when they have this need to dominate even the people they're working with. It is this that is their downfall. We were trying to take each other's head off, you know? And so, no, it was, it was, it was not moments where we felt like, hey, man, how are you doing? And, you know, hope you have a good game. No, it was none of that. You know, we competed. We were, now, we were friends when we left the court. But on the court, we didn't know each other. That's just the way it was. Yep. But right, because in that 87-88 season, you had your highest uh, average of your career, uh, 30.7 for the Hawks. But then Jordan had 35. I could never catch him on a scoring title, man. I won the scoring title once, and I chased him for four more years. So I found out, I'm like, man, I'm not chasing this guy anymore. I mean, and the guy at, at one point was averaging 34, 35. I mean, come on. You're not catching that. All right, I just thought that was an interesting clip. 
and I like basketball, and I like Jordan, and I like Dominique. And Neek was a good player. Jordan was better. And that's where I'm going to wrap up the show. Again, if you want to get that DMB XR, which you'll get the XR content and also this show ad-free. I take out the ads for subscribers, and I put it together in your own private RSS feed that goes into Patreon that you can then put into any podcast app, and the show will automatically upload with both the DMB and the XR. Then go to patreon.com slash propaganda report and subscribe there today. All right, we'll talk to you guys next time. Have a fantastic rest of your day.